Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Love at First Laugh, the Green Room Edition. And today, by popular demand, I have a guest who's been on this podcast, I don't know, like five times already, and everybody loves him. And they are like, we want more of Steve Scroven. Okay, so please welcome the amazing, incredible human being and writer and comedian, Steve Scroven. How about that? How did you like that? Wow. <laughs> wow, everybody loves me. I'm incredible. Yes. You obviously don't know me, Grace. <laughs> I've known you for quite a while, so I think um, I'm right. All right. I'm not, who am I to argue? Please don't. Yes, no. exactly. No. Mm -mm. So uh, so you've been, uh, for people that are just tuning in, you've been um, a writer, executive producer on Everybody Loves Raymond. You've been a writer in Seinfeld, Hot in Cleveland. I mean, your credits are like insane. They're amazing. And you're like, why, why are you making that face? <laughs> I don't know. How they're insane, I guess. They're insane. Yeah, they're insane. Insane in a good way. That's in a good way. Okay, good. In a good way. In a good way. I hang around with too many millennials, probably, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I You're, use so You're so random. So random. So random. Ratchet. Yes, I know. I know. I know how it goes. Um, so anyway, uh, we, last time you did Childhood in Place, and people love it. And so I picked... Uh, about two or three stories that I would love for you to tell us. And okay. and I know that you stopped doing it. You did it for like a year, right? 365, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But every now and then you feel like the spirit... You know why I play a little bonus. A little bonus. Yeah, if, I have, if I have a thought, you know, or my wife Shelly thinks of something that I should say, or she does something that I want yeah. to make fun of, then, uh, yeah, then I do it again, yeah. She's like your big time muse, isn't She's she? She's my muse. She yeah. has been. She's my muse and a muse. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah. That's a keeper. <laughs> do you just come up with that or do you say that? Yeah. Yes. I just said that, you know, it sounds more like a dad joke, though, to me. Once I, I know. Yeah. But, you know, actually, let me tell you, on TikTok, I scroll. I'm, I'm addicted to TikTok. And uh -huh. they have these dad jokes and there's somebody like saying them and laughing they're hilarious because they're so bad <laughs> see i i i i don't traffic in in you know dad jokes because i'm a professional comedian and i should be above that <laughs> yeah uh, but apparently according to my my uh, kids and when i say kids you know i have a 33 year old a 28 year old yeah anything that comes from a dad is a dad joke even if it's good no, and, and I've I've actually trained my family, both Shelly, my wife, and uh, uh, my son Sam, my daughter Julia. I have kind of trained them. They they have a sensibility because they they grew up being raised by a comic, and and Shelly's lived with one for forty years, so um, they have a bit of a higher standard, even for themselves, and so they're doing bits too. And as you know, as a comedian. That's what that's the DNA of Com comedians are made up of. If you were to break it down scientifically, you would say comedians are made up of bits. And yes, we are all kind of just assembled as bits. And mm -hmm. my friend George Calfo from my New York comedy days said the good New York 
post headline would be a comedian blown to bits because that's what we're made of. That's what you find. If a comedian was blown up, that's we would just find his bits all over the place. <laughs> so my, my family is pretty well trained in, um, in doing, you know, with their own humor. And that was actually one of the things I got the kids to talk at the dinner table. Because if you ask them how was school, they don't, uh, you know, they're not going to, they're going to just clam up. Uh, it's a boring question. So I finally figured out something to ask them that would be interesting to them. And so I would say, did you get any laughs today? And that immediately opened up because they, they both wanted to tell me how they made their friends laugh that day. Nice. And that's how we kind of broke into stories about what their day was like, who their friends were, what was going on. And uh, it was much more uh, specific and interesting question for them than how was school. So, Absolutely. And is any of them a comedy writer? Uh, well, my son is an aspiring writer and yeah, and he's pretty funny. They're both funny kids. And actually that's yeah. what I, uh, you know, when they uh, graduated from high school, you know, I kind of wrote them each kind of a note and basically gave them the same message, which was, uh, you know, the only lesson I've learned from life is try to be funny because yeah. that is a very powerful thing, you know, and you, you know, that, and, yeah. you know, people I I've had, um, I've met a lot of kind of famous people and people in politics and in, in academia and, uh, all they want to do is talk about what I do or they want to be funny. They huh. want me to give them jokes because they want to be funny because that's such a powerful thing to be funny. It is. It is. And and some of them, it's like, ouch. They do that when I go on dates. It's like, I should do stand up. I'm like, no, don't. no, 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 no. Just keep. Yeah. Well, see, it's yeah. tough when you're going, you know, you're, you're a stand up. And so somebody is, you know, you go on with a guy who's going to try to be funny. You're you're much funnier than he is, and you know, you know, twenty five thousand, you know, twenty five hundred other guys who are funnier than he is. Yes. So, it's you know they got it. You know, it's probably best they stay in their lane. <laughs> yes. Try just being sweet. You know, all women want sweet and funny. You want to say yeah. maybe you should tend toward the sweet, and <laughs> give the funny a rest. Yeah. Just stop trying to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, please. It's hard. But that, that would embarrass my daughter. You uh, would? Yeah. But sometimes, you know, just by existing. Yeah. <laughs> other times <laughs> on purpose. And when she, I remember she was in high school. Um, we were going to uh, a an event that was at the auditorium at the school. And uh, my wife and I entered one uh, end of the auditorium. And my daughter, Julia, waved to us. She was sitting with her friends. And we were on the other side of the room. So we had to walk all the way around and in front of the uh, the seats. It was like a theater uh, to get around to their side. And I couldn't help myself as I crossed in front. I did kind of a funny walk. Like a whoop, 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 you know, like that. I didn't make that sound effect, but I did a funny walk. And, and Julia's just kind of rolling her eyes. <laughs> and I would do things like that in front of her friends. And on more than one occasion, she'd come over to me the next day and very begrudgingly say, my friends think you're funny. No. <laughs> no. 
That's so cool. Yeah. But that's the thing is, you know, as, 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 you know, as, as someone who was raised by someone, you end up, you find yourself being like them and you go, Oh my God, that's just like my brother. Am I just like my father? And my kids have had a number of those moments. I, I'm sure where they, where they go, Oh boy, that's dead. That's dead. It's him here. I can't get it out. I just did that. Because <laughs> I know that's what, what I, I did with my parents. That's right. That's right. And Shelly is funny, though. Yeah. She's very funny from what you she's, write. Yeah, yeah. No, she's funnier yeah. on her right. You know what? She's well-trained, too. I'm going to take some credit for that. Nice. She was funny. She she has a very a great sense of humor. Her dad was Mr. Pun, Mr. Wordplay kind of guy. Oh, no. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, like most comedians, we we like to the the jokes that are about behavior, how people act, not like playing no with the puns. language. I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's no. a whole other thing, you know, but it's yeah. it it's it's a little more accessible for you know your amateur comedian to make a play yeah. on words than yeah. it is to make some observation about human behavior. Absolutely. So uh Shelly has I think through my just living with me Mm -hmm. gotten a better sense of uh, what's funny. And therefore she, when she's with her friends, she's the funniest one in the room. She's the, of course. Yeah. You trained her well. And she comes home and says, you know, Scro, she calls me Scro. Scro, <laughs> you know, I'm funny too. My friends really think I'm funny. I say, that's great. That's and she great. said it's a competition. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's very competitive, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think my brother was like that too when we were, you know, uh, growing up. Well, you know, it was like, I'm funny too. My friends think I'm funny, you know. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. You are. Chill you out. Are. It's not a zero sum game. It's not like if this person's funny, that person can't be funny. We can all right. be funny. And there's a lot of people that are funny. I bet a lot of people that are really funny. And they're not comedians. They never did comedy or wrote comedy. And they're really funny. Like, they got a really good sense of humor. Yeah. 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 And then there, there are the comedians that I know. There are a few that are much funnier offstage than they are on stage. Yeah. Well, why is that? There, well, I, I don't know. In the case of, of one of my friends, I think he was just... I think you have... The two people I'm thinking about have some idea of what a comedian is supposed to be like, you know, that there's a certain standard. And um, uh, and so you go up there and you act like a comedian. Yeah. And and whatever manic energy that made you funny off stage uh, is not brought to the stage. I think I'm funnier on stage than I am off stage. You wouldn't necessarily really? know I was a comedian off stage because I'm not somebody who's always on or in, anything like that. Right. And uh, uh, and I, but when I'm on stage, I feel like I have permission to yeah. kind of be why, you know, to, to let my mind go and say outrageous things that I wouldn't necessarily say because I'm not trying to draw attention to myself in real life. Right, right. Or in social I, situations, there are certain things you can't say or, but on the yeah. stage, anything goes. So that's the freedom on the stage. Yes. Yeah. Although I do, one of my greatest pleasures is making people in real life laugh and they don't know I'm a comedian. They just think I'm some guy, you know, and I am some uh, guy, but uh, 
like uh, when my son was visiting, he had a dog and I was walking his dog every day. And um, one day I was walking the dog and a woman was uh, walking up the opposite side of the street on the sidewalk. And uh, she saw me with the dog and she said, um, oh, so cute. And of course I said, well, thank you. And uh, what do you think of the dog? <laughs> and she yeah. laughed and, you know, and I, and I just got bingo, made a real person laugh. Didn't know. I, a long time ago, one of my best memories of making somebody laugh who didn't know I was a comedian or just thought, you know, this is, uh, Shelly and I were in line at a movie theater, which used to happen for those of you too young to remember that used to go to movie theaters and sometimes you go to a box office have to buy your tickets. Yeah. I'm going to pretend that I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 No idea. And this is in the mid nineties sometime. And, um, we were in this line and the, uh, there was an older couple in front of us and, uh, they got up and they said, uh, two seniors, please. And the person, boom, boom, rang them up, gave them their tickets. And so I walked up and I just said, uh, uh, two middle-aged people, please. <laughs> Which means nothing. You don't get any discount for being middle-aged. So I just said two middle-aged people. And the box, person at the box office didn't laugh, but people behind me, who I didn't even know were listening, caught it, laughed their asses off. They just laughed. And then we, you know, I got my tickets. We went and we got our seats. And then I got up to go get something at the concession. And I saw this group of people. It was like four people still talking about it in the concession area and laughing about it. Nice. And that was like so satisfying that, yeah. you know, and I didn't go up, you know, I didn't make myself known to them or anything. I just kind of walked by like, you know, but they were still laughing about that, that guy who just went up and said, two middle-aged people, please. You know, it was just very serious. Two yeah. Yeah. Of course, that's key to be serious, to be real about it. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah you're not doing a bit, you're just being, you know, just, the other one, the first one about, well, thank you. How's, what do you think of the dog? That's more of a, you know, a it's more joke of a structure thing. Yeah. 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 Joke structure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The other one is more of a moment. Right. Right? Like yeah. you're somebody else and it's a moment. Yeah. And if you can like brighten someone's day, you know, a cashier or, you know, anybody, you know, but it's, you got to, it's also something that needs to be in professional hands most of the time because yeah. you don't want to be a burden to people trying to be funny. You really can't do it for yourself. You really have to do it for them. That is true. Because you want to make them laugh and you're not, it's not about, Hey, look at me. Aren't I funny? Cause that's the that's the most satisfying thing. Absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, do you notice it's your brain is wired that way? Like you say something and, you just don't even think of it as funny and people laugh sometimes and it's yeah oh yeah that's funny but it's it comes out like natural well that's why comedians are, are not necessarily great laughers when especially when a civilian says something funny or tells you know, and, and, you know, and i've been guilty of this too where i go yeah oh that's a joke okay yes oh Other my god oh i thought it was just me and they're like, say it's serious. And you're like, wait, was that a joke or are they being real? I'm not following. Right. Because you're not well, used to it. Yeah. They're I like, mean, you sarcasm. Know. Sarcasm. I'm like, uh, I don't think you know what sarcasm means. Yeah. Well, you're ha or you're hanging out with a bunch of other comics 
Yeah. And, you know, for us, it's sport, you know, to yeah. be insulting each other and roasting. Oh, and so and fun. Boom, you know, it's just, it's yes. like, you know, it's like fencing, you know, it's, it's. Delicious. And yes. So you're, 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 you're on the, um, you're on the alert for all of that. But mm -hmm. sometimes you can be caught by surprise by a civilian who says something really funny. And it's so funny that you don't get it because it's so off the wall. You know, I never thought about that, but you're right. That's what it is. That's why sometimes I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're not expecting so, it. And because yeah. you're you're in charge of funny. Hey, I'm in charge of funny here. I'll do the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's a lot of pressure when people know that you're a comedian. Isn't that a lot of pressure when you're in a social situation where they feel that you have to be funny when, in fact, you're not on all the time? You know, something might come out funny or you know you might be inspired but we have depth i think right yes yes yeah. and i think for me see because i don't get up on stage as much anymore right uh for me any captive audience i'm happy to entertain <laughs> anybody because you know the, the the power of what we do if you're good at it at all is that it's kind of your job to show up. That's what I always like to be about a comedian. And, and it's why I never like to have props, you know, uh, you know, guy with suitcase or the guy who had to back the van up to the stage uh, because I just like the simplicity of, um, okay, it's your job to show up and put on a show. And I've been to dinners where I know that I'm there to kind of sing for my supper. I'm there to kind of entertain, tell funny stories. And I'm, you know, usually pretty happy to do that, you know, because that's the that's the part of the power of being a comedian is that people want yeah. to listen to you. Totally. Uh, on the off chance that you might say something, you might make them laugh. They will tune Absolutely. in to you. I had a, a girlfriend who made she had a corporate job and she made tons of money. Yeah. She didn't take me on trips and pay for everything. So I would entertain her. Not that yeah. I would purposely do it, but because I'm entertaining to her, she would take me on these trips for free. <laughs> she didn't want me to pay for anything. <laughs> my mother-in-law, my late great mother-in-law, uh, had a very fraught relationship with her sister-in-law. Her husband's, uh, actually her husband's sister-in-law, I guess technically, uh, his brother's wife. And, 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 and this woman was kind of um, hard to deal with. And uh, my mother-in-law, uh, when I met this woman, you know, I could deal with her because I've dealt with hecklers before, you know? And so I could completely disarm her. And there was no, you know, there was no way she could intimidate me because, mm -hmm. come on, I've done one-nighters in New Jersey. <laughs> so, you know, what, what are you gonna do to me? Nothing. You're immune to to it all. Yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, I, I've done, I've done the circle line. You know, I've done the worst situations possible with worst kinds of audiences. So you know, this nice Jewish lady is not going to really intimidate me. <laughs> so my mother-in-law was going had to go to a, an event uh, where uh, where her sister-in-law was going to be. I think it was one of her kids, uh, you know, bat mitzvahs or something, or bar mitzvahs. And uh, she asked me to go. 
to be a buffer because she knew I could deal with Rhoda. Nice. And um, I would lighten things up and may, you know take the pressure off of her to put up with her bullshit <laughs> and her judgments and all their you know the, you know all of all of her and, and I felt bad because I couldn't I think I was working or something and and she um, it was first suggested to me by Shelley it was passed along to me as I can't and then my mother-in-law called me up directly to, to ask that's how desperate she was to have an offer between her and this other woman and I said I'm sorry Dana I can't I, you know you know but that was the power of that. That's like, it's a superpower. I had a, a uh, college a classmate of mine refer to it there at one of our reunions. She said, oh, I wish I had that superpower. And I thought, well, that's overstating it a bit. Yeah. yeah. And then I started talking to some other comedians about it. And we kind of agreed, you know what? It is kind of a superpower. It is kind of a superpower. And, and everybody wants to be funny. Everybody wants to be funny, yes. And the reason everybody wants to be funny is because when you're funny, you get listened to. And you know you're being listened to because people are making this inarticulate noise called a laugh, <laughs> which for us is like a mating call. I know, I know, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember you told me one time, like, the way comics laugh at other comic stuff yeah. is a laugh. Ah, it's like a mating call. You were saying that, that definitely is a mating call. Yeah, that that's yeah, that's the uh, uh, it's a signaling more. You know, it's not a spontaneous laugh. No. It's more of a signaling like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or that's funny. You know? And I could tell who in the darkness. I didn't need to see who it was. I knew. Okay, yeah, that's him. That's William. That's uh, that's John. Yeah, yeah. You knew. Yeah. You could discern. I, I could tell who, which, what, what the line of crows on the telephone line in the darkness was. <laughs> Here, you know, remember Nate? Oh, yes, Nate. Yes. Nate. Hi, Nate. Thank you for tuning in. And he says, Steve Scrooge is my favorite writer and comedian. His interview with the Ramones was legendary. Yes. I I did a show. What, what Nate is referring to is uh, I was in my early 30s, did a show back 1988 called a mouth to mouth it was on mtv and it was uh, a talk show a live call-in talk show oh and it was you know in the 80s mtv came I, they just played videos and then they created a show called remote control where my buddy ken over the late great ken over hosted it with colin quinn and uh, a lot of other people made guest appearances on it like adam sandler and people like that and um it was that was kind of a game show and so they wanted to branch out with more original programming uh, other than their videos and they came up with this idea of doing a talk show based on um because they they got a lot of viewers when they had call in request line stuff cool. so they wanted to make this a feature of this talk show and i got hired to be the host and oh, yeah it only lasted six weeks and we, but we did four nights a week live, and we had all these great musicians and actors and artists and uh, other you know personalities, and uh, the Ramones was was one. Ozzy Osbourne, Tom Jones, oh, wow. any any rapper or uh, metal band that was holding sway at that time was 
was on the show. We did the Fat Boys. We did Public Enemy. Um, uh, you know, all, all sort. In, in addition to uh, artists, and uh, I remember Spalding Gray. I remember the great monologist. Uh, he was on the show, and uh, and the Ramones. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 I'm glad Nate. You think it was legendary. I'm trying to remember exactly because the Ramones. The thing about musicians is they their main mode of expression is singing and playing. Mm-hmm. That's why in most talk shows, whether it's, you know, it was Letterman back in the old days of Colbert or even uh, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, you know, the bands would go on last. And right. then at the end of the show, and they'd say good night and they wouldn't interview the bands. Well, here I was interviewing bands and that was uh, a little more difficult because they are not used to being talkers. The only one who is really great I mean, there were a few that were pretty good, but there was only one that was really great was Tom Jones, of all people. Wow. He just did that song that he covered uh, Prince's song, Kiss. He just did his version of Kiss. And so he did that live for us, and then he talked. But he was like a talk show veteran, and he had all great stories, and I didn't have to, like, drag stuff out of him because, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of the bands, they're just not used to talking. I did remember Eddie mm-hmm. Brickell in New Bohemians, bohemians that was the late 80s uh she's married to paul simon now but uh she was so shy she had to have her whole band on with her who actually talked for her oh wow she was you know a young woman who was not used to you know that that kind of format you see that on talk shows too there's some actors like robert de niro is like a terrible interviewer on talk shows yeah whereas tom hanks is great because he's got all his personality and stuff but so that was so I, I remember talking to the Ramones and uh, I'm glad you liked it, Nate. I don't remember much about it, except that it was probably a little difficult getting some stuff out of them. But once I did, they were, you know, entertaining. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for um, expanding on that. That's mm-hmm. very nice. Um, so I have some questions, uh, a couple of questions, and then we're going to get into sheltered in place. OK. But- Right. I, I wanted uh, to ask you, who was the nicest and coolest um, actor or actress in any show that you worked on? Nicest and coolest? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Romano. Really? Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Ray is what you see is what you get. Yeah. I mean, and, and I knew Ray beforehand. We were friends. But Ray is, uh-huh. is you know, had a, a magnificent career because so many – People who have sitcoms, especially if they're comics. Uh, I mean, Tim Allen is an exception. There are a few exceptions. You know, that's it. You know, what else, you know, or they're going to spend the rest of the time playing themselves. Well, uh, Ray's done a great job diversifying his portfolio and not trying to redo something that can't be redone, which is Raymond. And he did Men of a Certain Age, which was a dramedy. And then he's done all this other kind of great drama stuff. And he's, he's, uh, always had the natural instincts of a good actor because he's just so genuine on stage, but he's also now developed, you know, techniques where he can access emotions and things that, uh, you know, uh, a lot of comedians would have a difficult time doing. Yeah. So, but in, in spite of that, in spite of the fact that he's just become a bigger and bigger star and more respected, he's just as down to earth as he ever was, you know, that's, that's awesome. And he's amazing. Yeah. 
and he's the nicest that's do you find that maybe like the more successful they are the nicer they are or it's not necessary? i don't know i don't know that there's a formula i don't know that there's, there's a formula, formula. You know, certain, some people can handle fame you know i can uh, you know i won't mention names but i can have other people who had big uh shows and they just couldn't handle mm -hmm. the pressure or you know it was too much too soon or too you know or just um you know being that focal point was uh you know too hard for them to uh handle so they acted out in certain ways that that came from insecurity right and, and so um ray who's you know doesn't you know isn't as neurotic as anybody <laughs> but it is there's there's something still uh, centered about him he still knows what's important that's awesome and, he's grounded he's grounded in, in a certain way and i think i think his wife anna uh grounds him i think he likes having people around him who ground him who don't take him too seriously because oh, really? yeah i mean he he um he told us very early on when uh, uh, he told the story of when Raymond was just coming um, uh, coming on before anybody knew who he was when before the show was even on. It was just very exciting that his pilot got picked up and uh, he was going to do a show, at least 13 episodes. And I think he was working in Las Vegas and he uh, was going to be on his way to Los Angeles. And he's talking to his Anna, wife, Anna, who's also like Shelly, very funny. Oh, I love very quotable and um uh, she, and she had like three young kids at home three babies at home and he's off gallivanting around you know and and i you know and, and he's on the phone and she's you know uh telling him how difficult it is and you know i guess he couldn't come home for some reason and and he says well you know what i'm i, I I got a TV show and I'm going to be making money and I've got to go to LA to be a TV show. And you know, I'm, I'm going to be uh, on TV. And she goes, Hey, you're still the dick I married. I am dead. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't get, don't get on your high horse. You're still the dick I married. And, and so that grounds him. And so Anna really keeps him grounded. And I think he's, he doesn't surround himself with sycophants. He's, you know, he, uh, he, you know, he doesn't, he enjoys, you know, like, like we were talking before comedians, you know, he enjoys kind of uh, being cut down by other comedians, you know? Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think that comedians are a little bit more humble than actors because we are out there and it's, we have a rougher life, I think. I don't think so. I don't, I don't, again, I don't know that you could generalize like that because, you know, there, there are comedians out there who have become stars and they're dicks, you know, and, uh, you know, and they think they're all that. And then, so I, I don't know that you can make a generalization between actors and comedians as far as that goes. It depends on the person. As a person, how they were raised, you know, who their mother was, you know, uh, what you know all, all those things how much control of their ego they have yeah how secure yeah. they are you know yeah. you know in 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 their own skin mm -hmm. uh and uh you know that that's the key word is 
security or insecurity. I think that 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 tells you, you know, because most people want to be nice, but some people just can't because they think people are after them or they're, you know, and sometimes their their paranoia is justified in, in that, you know, they're in some project that just isn't speaking to them or it's just not them. And so they, they lash out and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's complex. It's a complex situation. So. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you who's the meanest one you ever worked with, but I'm not sure you're going to tell me if you want to say it. Meanest actor. Or like the not so cool. Um, you know what? I don't, I, I'll just say this. I, I can't name any names, really. It's no, just that not. I'm not. I'm not so impressed with stars because I've I've been around them, right? And you know, uh, and I've I've seen I've been on a show which made a bunch of stars. You know, where they were nobody knew them before, and then nine years later, they're big stars and they're multi multi millionaires. So. Um, that's not really, that's not really, uh, uh, you know, so mean doesn't no. really, I, I let people be mean to me. Oh, no, and, hell no. Yeah, so, and people tend to be on their best behavior around me, and most people want to be liked and and uh, mm -hmm. and good. So I, I, I'm not sure that that's really. You never, yeah, it's a people try I, to believe. Yeah, I'm much more impressed with, you know, I'm on the board of this group called Public Citizen, which is this public interest group in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And I am much, I am more like starstruck when I see these people who actually do things in life that make people's lives better. And it's not politicians, but it's no. these people who are working in these public interest groups mm -hmm. who are making lives better, like, you know, you know, somebody like Ralph Nader, who I do this radio show with every week, this guy is an amazing genius who has saved so many lives, who's improved so many lives. And uh, it's hard for me to be impressed knowing Ralph. It's hard for me to be impressed with, you know, some actor when I know somebody like Ralph Nader, who's actually an historical figure, one of the most influential people in American history. Uh, and then all the, a lot of the people that he sort of Johnny Appleseed that I've gotten to know. And these are the people that kind of make me a little starstruck. You know, somebody like Jim Hightower or, or you know, uh, and I will name, you know, all these names you don't know. But they've done so much more than most actors have, uh, you know, mm -hmm. people's lives. I mean, we actors and comedians, we, you know, we entertain people, but yeah, we don't um, necessarily keep them alive yeah or, car, or keep them, yeah, yeah or give them health care or anything like that yeah. you know? so um so in answer to your question about me it's just like it's not they're not important enough to me i'm more mm -hmm. more starstruck by these other people that you don't know i love that you're so like down to earth and so real no, I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I tr I try to be like Ray. I just try to be like Ray. I'm not gonna say. I, I, 
Here's the thing. You're I have awesome. nothing to be up Earth. I have nothing to be in the stratosphere about. So I, I better be down to Earth yeah. because it's nothing worse than somebody who is, you know, firmly planted in Earth trying to be something they're, you know, doesn't have the skill set to be in the stratosphere of anything. So, yeah, you might as if you're going to be an asshole, you might as well be a down to Earth asshole. <laughs> Do you consider yourself an asshole? <laughs> no, but I'm sure other people would. So. Oh, please. Who? Who would? Please. I don't. They know. don't really know what an asshole is, then. Yeah. <laughs> they have no idea. They've never met one in real life, then. Yeah. I'm just gonna leave it at that. But I would love for you to do, like do some of the. We do some shelter in place. Yeah, that I picked, that I liked. All right, let's see. Got them loaded up here. Oh, yeah, first one. You want me to do these in any particular order? You want me to do in the order you put them up there? Whatever you want. All right. Well, you picked one, and I like you give these titles. You give them You give them actual uh, uh, chapter headings. Yeah. And I noticed, well, because this is, you know, relationship oriented kind of show I you picked a lot of the relationship ones so yes this is um, this fits right in uh, and, and basically it's during quarantine Shelly and I developed a routine of playing three hands of rummy after dinner and uh, we would set Pandora to a jazz compilation and and uh, we would dub those interludes cards at the jazz club it was one of our quarantine routines after dinner and uh, one time she was uh, once again kicking my ass in a game of Indian rummy, which our daughter taught us. And I began expounding upon the background and origins of some song that was playing. And Shelley marveled at what she turned by encyclopedic knowledge of not only certain types of music, but my ability to hold forth on many other topics, sports, politics, history, religion, and current events. And she said, you know, you're like Siri, except you don't need anyone to ask you a question. You're more like Siri when Siri <laughs> randomly starts talking in my pocket. <laughs> yes. So she's basically saying you're like a Wikipedia of useless knowledge. Well, not useless knowledge necessarily, <laughs> but the ability to pontificate at length. <laughs> and she's always she's always said, you know, I speak in sentences, you speak in paragraphs. <laughs> and I have to admit that's true, but I, I have a lot to say if I know something. I, I That's the other thing. She says, if you know something, you have to tell somebody. You know, it's like... Really? Yeah. yeah. Do, you find, do you find the need to explain? So for what reason? For So you can help the other person or... <laughs> not help the... It's not... It's hard to hear yourself. It's not that... It? Yeah. It's yeah. Not, I'm not that saintly. Yes, I'm trying to help you. That's sure. what I really enjoy about my pontificating about something. You're totally bragging. Like, I know where this song came from, and let me tell you the story, right? Is well, I, actually, I was not bragging. In that particular case, uh, I just had a piece. I did have a piece of trivia about it. It was probably some song. Uh, there are certain songs, and I think I even wrote about this in, in uh, one of the Sheldon Place things. That we don't know. There's certain songs that there are two artists who've written songs that people don't realize they've written, and, and one is Stevie Wonder, and the other one is Prince. Oh. And Stevie Wonder has written a lot of songs for people that that um, 
you don't know that he wrote them because he didn't make them famous. Um, like uh, the Aretha Franklin song, you know the Aretha Franklin song, uh, I'm gonna rap on your door, tap on your window pane. Yes. That's Stevie Wonder. Really? Song. Yes. Uh, there's a song by the Spinners. Uh, it's a shame the way you fool around with your man. It's a shame the yeah. way you hurt me. Stevie Wonder. Uh, the song Chaka Khan and Rufus. Tell me something good. Yeah. Stevie Wonder wrote that song. I had no idea. Yeah. And so I think it was probably one of those songs. And they say, well, you know, interesting. Uh, the Stevie Wonder wrote that song, but, you know, and it was covered by this person. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of what prompted her while we were playing uh, cards in the jazz club. She's very funny. Yes. She really is. Uh, so you have, are you vaxxed? I am that. Well, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I was one of the late comers. Okay. Uh, just young enough. I didn't hit the cutoff. I'm not 65. Uh, so I wrote about um, getting my second shot, which I got at the end of April. Uh, so I wrote, you know, I, told, I was a little bit behind most of my friends. And it's the first time I've ever lamented being too young and healthy because I just missed the cutoff. And I, so I felt like when I, was, when I was 15 and I was a year away from my driver's license, not allowed in the street yet, just stuck driving my dad's old Delta 88 up and down the driveway. And I've been perversely jealous of my fellow superfluous cohorts. That's what I call we not essentials. I prefer the term superfluous. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it has the word super. Yeah. And they qualified before the vaccine, before I did. I was a little jealous of them because I didn't have the proper comorbidity resume. You know, <laughs> unlike all you more fortunate people with your severe asthma and your <laughs> renal failure. Lucky you with your diabetes and your family history of heart disease. <laughs> That's great. So two weeks from that day, uh, I told people, you know, look both ways because, you know, this old young man will be busting loose, stomping on the accelerator and roaring down the street. And that's, that's what So tell, tell me, what was the first thing you did after you were vaxxed? Masturbated like a monkey. No, I... <laughs> uh, no. Was quarantine was for. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, the first thing we did was we went to a, a, a party. Uh, you know, a get together with old friends nice. we hadn't seen in person uh, for a year uh, after we'd cleared, and uh, it's it was amazing. I mean, we were with a bunch of old friends last night, and uh, and, and Shelley was remarking on how exhilarating it was. And she's kind of an introvert, and uh, but even introverts need to be around people every once in a while. We're social animals, yes. Yeah. And uh, so it was, you know, at first, was, oh, I don't know, do I really want to go to that? And then, you know, afterwards, it was like, oh, wow, that was fun. You know, everybody was vaccinated. Yeah. And, you know, it was just so fun to see all these old friends. And But the first thing we did was we, we went to a small uh, dinner party. And I, uh, I, did, house. I did the same thing last night. I went to a dinner party. And so much fun. Like before quarantine, I would have been like, oh my God, another dinner party or another social event I have to go to. And yeah. now it was so enjoyable because we haven't done that in such a long time. 
that yeah. it's just like it's no long, no, you know there'll come a time when we'll take it for granted again i know, know. <laughs> but right now it's like yeah. oh this this is a treat oh my god yeah. so, so i got i got my once i got my you know a second shot shelly and julia got theirs at the same time yeah and and the day after they were a bit feverish and a little wiped out me yeah <laughs> nothing nothing mm -hmm. uh does that make me a strong man apparently not on the contrary it means i'm weak or at least my immune system is weak according to them the the foreboding medieval castle that is my body may appear fortified however that is merely an illusion grace inside the dank and crumbling recesses of my corpus instead of an elite praetorian guard of ninja white blood cells i apparently have a staff of paunchy mall cops who cannot even be bothered to roll into bed to check out the odd noise their wives heard downstairs oh my god that's funny and if a virus were to storm into my statuary hall the national guard ain't showing up <laughs> how can this be i've had one cold i've had one cold in the past 20 years so I like to think it's the opposite. I like to think that the mRNA vaccine injected into my lateral deltoid to teach me how to make proteins is simply not needed because that's what that's what the mRNA vaccine does. Yes. It, it's all about the protein. But this old man, let me tell you, this old man, I know how to barbecue protein. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't need your instructions. I've been wearing this kiss the cook apron a long time. My therapeutic friend, step away from the grill. So I'm told this reaction merely proves another of Shelley's earlier scientific observations. My strongest defenses remain emotional. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah. That's so deep. But you really, you didn't get any reactions or anything. No. On the first shot, I didn't even feel sore in my arm. The second shot, I, I actually felt the shot because I guess that depends on where in the muscle they hit it. But nah, nothing. And, and I don't get sick. I don't get sick. You know, like I said, I've had one, I had one cold. The last cold I remember having was back in 2007. And then uh, I did get a case of strep, I think in 2012. And just had, needed some antibiotics for that. And that's it. And that's all I can remember in the last 20 years. That, I, I, I can't even. That's, I'm jelly. I'm a little jelly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but apparently... A sign of this thing working is actually being a little sick after you get vaccinated. Right, because it's your, your body's reacting your to it. Your body's reacting to it, but my body's just... So I, I like to think my body's going, hey, uh, it's okay, we're not hiring. <laughs> you know? As opposed to... <laughs> as opposed to forget it. You know, It's not even worth... We don't even want to get out of bed. Yeah, we're like a mom and pop thing. Yeah, I'll okay, yeah. here. We're good. Yeah, so if COVID comes, COVID's going to take over, okay? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? There's a Delta thing. There's a Delta, um, what do you call it, variant? Delta now? variant. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I mentioned Delta 88 as, as my dad's automobile. So let's just think the, Del the Delta variant is, um, well, it's why everybody should get vaccinated because, you know, I think it developed in India because, you know, the more people who aren't vaccinated, the more people who keep getting sick, yeah. the odds that something will mutate 
you know, will um, increase. So, you know, get vaccinated. It's look at me. Look at me. You're lucky. I've had some friends that had like weird reactions, like neural. What were they weird reactions? Uh, Like one friend, um, she, her arm, she couldn't move her arm and Mm -hmm. Um, her eyes closed for like 15 hours. She could not open them. Yeah. That was weird. That is with Moderna. Yeah, she was terrified. But now she's fine. But that was pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. What was that about? That was bizarre. Yeah, a little cuckoo. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, psychosomatic. That's what you're thinking. Historical blindness. (laughs) <laughs> and she is actually in the healthcare profession. So, yeah, well, you know, people in the healthcare profession, they get the diseases of their patients a lot. I mean, not just literally get it, but sometimes they, even when they're not infected, will exhibit symptoms because they're just around it. This is the way kind of our, our brain works. Work. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost empathetic. Empathetic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that because they're around that all the time, yeah. every day. Yeah, the ones, it must be hard to be an empath and be in the healthcare profession. Yeah, although it's to be in the healthcare profession, it's probably useful to be an empath, <laughs> you know, yes. which draws you to the profession. So it's a, it's a uh, catch 22. It's a catch 22. You just yeah. have to have the right proportion. Yeah. You don't want to get too jaded. I think that can probably happen to people. Yeah. You know, it happens to people in the health doctors. It happens. It it happens to cops, Mm -hmm. you know. Right. They they just see all this stuff and they just kind of, in their own defense, they try not to feel anything. Yeah. Well, I understand. Yeah. Um, Here's my favorite um, sheltered in place. When Steve met Shelley. Yeah. Yeah, this is a story. Um, uh, on my way to kindergarten, the bus in the morning would stop at Lynn's house. And I grew up uh, in Northeast Ohio in a small town uh, about 30 miles east of Cleveland, kind of farm country. And so it was a long bus ride to school. It was kind of a country town. And uh, Lynn would get on the bus and she would step on and I would catch her eye and I would raise my finger and motion for her to sit next to me. And she would sit next to me. That's all it took. And this little gesture with my finger. This finger was like magically charged. Boom. I have never been as cool since. <laughs> my sway over women peaked at five years old. With each successive year, my confidence around girls slowly eroded Self-consciousness sneaked in, humility took over, patches of acne sprouted like crabgrass. <laughs> Despite that, I had plenty of self-esteem growing up, but I definitely lost my magnetic finger. I was I was James Bond in kindergarten, but in high school, by high school, I, I, I turned into Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> I can only imagine what would happen if I tried that magnetic finger trick anytime in adulthood. I have no doubt at some point it would have been snapped off and shoved up my ass and the judge would have ruled in her favor 
<laughs> but looking back, I realized that any time I took the in initiative to pursue a relationship, I either failed or it lasted only a couple of weeks. When the women pursued it, it lasted a lot longer. That's how you meet someone at age 20 and are still needing each other and feeding each other when you're 64. Oh, that is sweet. That is so sweet. I can't, I can't get over your long marriage. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. You're like my hero. Um, what's a move that you wish you had back then when you were <laughs> after what's five? What's a move I wish I had back then? Yeah, like after five. Wait, once you lost the magnetic powers. Um, I don't know. I mean, I had, I was kind of girl crazy. Really? I can, I can remember having crushes oh. in kindergarten, first grade. Second grade, I can't count because that was Sister Mary Anna Marie. And that was a little weirder. Uh, but I just thought she was the greatest thing. Um, oh, so funny. I, I can give you, I can give you the names. I can even give you the names. Please. The, first, the first names, Lynn in kindergarten, Donna in first grade, Sister Marianne Marie in second grade. I can't. <laughs> uh, third grade was Marion. Um, fourth grade, uh, fourth grade, fifth grade was kind of uh, uh, Monica. Uh, we have to skip ahead to seventh grade. I don't know what was going on in sixth grade. <laughs> seventh grade, um, seventh and eighth grade, or Cecilia, seventh grade. Eighth grade, uh, Helen. And uh, that, that was my entire grade school uh, unrequited crushes. I can't believe that you remember the names. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you this funny story. When I was in, it was seventh or eighth grade. And back then, this is late 60s, early 70s. Because um, you wore these heavy metal uh, uh, ID bracelets with your name engraved on them. Okay. And uh, the thing was, you give the girl your ID bracelet and she would wear your ID bracelet. So apparently, you, she belonged to you. Hi. And um, that, was, that was the exchange. That was the thing. And uh, I rode the bus with Helen uh, and we uh, were actual neighbors and I was the stop just before her. And it was a 40 minute bus ride through all these country roads. And uh, so we would be on the bus. We would be the last two people on the bus. And I was going to ask Helen to wear my ID bracelet. And I was just like preparing for it. And, you know, you don't know what guys go through. You know, they write scripts, they do all sorts of scenarios. And I, she, uh, just before we got to my stop, I turned to her and I said, um, and I actually made a story out of this, uh, wrote, wrote a sitcom story out of this. Nice. I said to her, what, what would you say if I asked you to wear my ID bracelet or, or go steady or whatever I said? But I, that's how I said it. It's important you know that I said, what would you say if I said that? And she said, I'd say yes, big smile on her face. Aww. And then shh, the bus stops, doors open, my turn to get off, just boom. That way I had timed it just for that. And I just kind of floated off the bus and floated up my driveway. And I said, oh my God, I can't believe it. She said, yes, 
oh no like what oh, boy great and i just couldn't stop thinking about it all evening and all through the night and by the end and then i started thinking about it too much because i started thinking wait a minute i asked it as a hypothetical i said what would you say i didn't really ask her did i and by the time by the time i fell asleep that night i had talked myself out of it completely not only that that it was a hypothetical but that she said yes that's okay because she was just saying so you really wasn't saying yeah and so the next day i showed up to school and i didn't have the courage to hand her my id bracelet and a whole week went by because i had convinced myself that what had happened had not happened oh my god our minds are really they really screw us up yeah and then eventually after a week i just kind of went up to her and handed it to her and she took it and she wore it it was like oh okay oh god oh my god i was right i, I was crazy for a whole week i waited you tortured yourself all that i tortured crazy. myself because i talked myself out of the whole thing and i i have no idea what she must have been thinking this guy asked me a week ago i know what's going nothing. on where's the jewelry pal yes and so the next day she hands it back to me and says my mom says i'm too young to be going steady no why mom so but you know so your your mom the the mom her mom her talked mom. you basically yeah she said what's the who, what's this bracelet oh, it's got my name on it it's like yeah, so yeah, the, the mom cog blocked by a mom yeah and the mom knew me you know and she knew it was a nice really? kid we were in seventh or eighth grade you know it was just too you know yeah. no, they are not cottoning to that oh uh, that's a little strict well it was 1970. yeah well those were different times yeah although actually they're probably not that much different uh but yeah it was that that was the innocent thing giving her the id bracelet and having torturing myself for that week and i had it to her and then getting handed right back to me oh did you do that a lot torture yourself with your thoughts no no i tried not to i mean uh, you yeah. know it happened uh, there was another girl i had a crush on and when i was in high school and she went to another school and you know I would call her and I, you know, try to, I would call her and, you know, it was like a big preparation for me to sit down and kind of put my notes out in front of me and, you know, plan out the whole conversation and then dial the phone and then her dad answers. And I go, excuse me, can I speak to Jill? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that never went anywhere. I could never, you know, get her to go out with me. Oh my God! Uh, so who was? Uh, you're sorry now, huh? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're all regretting it, and Shelly is the lucky one now. I'm not sure she would share the word lucky <laughs> with you, because to her, I'm still the dick she married. I love that. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> That's a good callback. We should go out That's on a that. Very good callback. 
So uh, to, to close, because we've been talking for like an hour, um, I would love for you to tell us uh, one of your favorite stories on any of the sitcoms you worked on. Like what is your absolute favorite fun story? Whether it's on set or the writer's room. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. I can tell you a quick story about Seinfeld. Now, let me explain to you about Seinfeld. Seinfeld was my first writing job. And Larry David, who actually I just saw last night for the first time in probably 10 or 12 years, oh, wow. uh, hired me and a couple other comedians to be on the show, a couple of comics that he knew to be on the show with him. And it was my first uh, writing job, and I was starting at the top. You know, So it, it actually was still kind of a cult hit at that time. And then during that year, having nothing to do with me, it broke out because they changed from Wednesday to Thursday. Yeah. Became a top 10 show and never looked back. And it was a very exciting year to be there. And so when I say I wrote on Seinfeld, I have to kind of qualify by saying it was, it, I'm more like audited Seinfeld. Okay. Uh, and, you know, it was like auditing a master class, watching uh, Jerry and Larry work and Larry Charles and Peter Melman and all the, the people who really knew how to write the show. And um, so I learned a tremendous amount from those guys. And most of my contributions happen, would, would be accidental. Uh, I would say something inadvertently, and Larry would go, oh, oh, that's funny. Well, that's funny. Uh, for instance, I'll give you two examples. One example uh, is short, and the other is a little bit longer story. One example was uh, it was uh, uh, summertime. It was before the show was to begin, and at that point, uh, Elaine, uh, actually, Julie Louis-Dreyfus was uh, had just had a baby. And so she wasn't going to be available for the first two episodes, which they were doing in the summer because they wanted to promote it during the Summer Olympics in 92. And uh, so they had a show where she came back. And so the backstory was she wasn't around because she was on vacation, on a European vacation. And the idea was that her psychologist, her psychiatrist, she went on vacation with her psychiatrist, who she ended up having a relationship with, Mm -hmm. And he sort of has this control over her. Uh, and uh, so I said, oh, when we were, they were talking about, you know, Larry's kind of working out the story. And I said, oh, kind of like a, a Svengali. And he goes, and, th and that's not the word. The word is Svengali. But I said, Svengali. He goes, Svengali? Did you say Svengali? I said, oh, I don't know. Did I say Svengali? So, yeah, and somebody just, yeah, he says, Svenjali. And that was it until a few weeks later when that episode, we go to the table read, and in the episode, uh, they're talking about Elaine coming back and how she's got this hold on, you know, this psychiatrist has this hold on her. And um, Kramer, I think, says, so she's kind of like a Svenjali. And Jerry says, Svenjali? Did you say Svenjali? And he and I don't know. Did I say I, did I say Svenjali? Says George. He says Svenjali. He says Svenjali. <laughs> so and the joke was the Svenjali is somebody who has a cheerful hold on. You're a Svenjali. <laughs> Svenjali. <laughs> so that's how I got something in just by being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Other way I got something, well, the other way we got something in, uh, my friend Bill Masters and I were working on, uh, this is much later now in the year, and Bill Masters and I are working on this scenario, and uh, we're ready to pitch it, and we've got all these threads worked out, and turns out Larry is sick that day, 
and he was like the Iron Man. He was like Lou Gehrig, Cal Ripken. You know, he never missed, but he was sick that day. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you, you can come to my house. He was renting a house in Studio City and pitched to me there. So he said, okay. And so we get in a car and we drive a couple miles to Larry's house that he's renting. And Larry is on the, on the couch with a little blanket over him. And he goes, uh, don't, uh, don't be insulted if I have to get up and go to the bathroom doing your pitch. It's because uh, I'm sick. And so he's like, ah, that's okay. And so Bill and I, we get our notes out and Larry's on the couch with a little blanket and we start pitching the show. And we start pitching the episode, and this happens. And then Kramer does this, and then George does this, and Jerry comes over here, and Elaine does this, and we're pitching our asses off. And you know, we, and we had it all worked out, all choreographed. And Larry finally goes, uh, "Excuse me," and he and he gets up, and he goes into the bathroom, and shuts the door. We hear the door shut, and Bill and I kind of look at each other, and we think. This is going pretty well. I think this is yeah. is working. And then all of a sudden in the bathroom we hear like the worst retching. His his entire body is turning inside out. Oh my god. <laughs> Toilet flush. A couple of seconds later, door opens, Larry comes out. And he goes, uh, I don't know about your story, but I think this is pretty funny, what just happened here. <laughs> and sure enough, he rejected our story, but a, a story that he wrote, and this was the year Seinfeld had their, uh, it was a show within a show, uh, you know, where they were pitching the show of their show. Yeah. And so uh, they devised a scenario where the NBC executive, played by Bob Balaban, uh, sort of based on Warren Littlefield, is uh, has has some bad some bad seafood, and George and Jerry are pitching their idea for a show for Jerry, and he goes, "Excuse me," and he goes into the bathroom and pukes his guts out, and, and so George and Jerry, are like me and Bill, standing outside, and Bob Balaban, who's the network, was like Larry, you know, so he used that. But he didn't That's use the story that we had spent all these days and weeks, you know, <laughs> yeah. devising. But so most most of the time when I got, you know, stuff in, it was by accident like that. I love it. And then you had, I remember one time you told me a story about the Spanish lisp. Oh, that's a story. That. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was before the season like i said it was going to be the olympics the summer olympics in barcelona were taking place in 1992 yeah and they were wanted to launch seinfeld in when nbc had all of those eyeballs on through the olympics so they they had we were going to do two episodes but they were also doing promos and so we um we were writing a bunch of promos for jerry to do on stage uh so that they could play them all through the summer olympics and i had heard uh, you know, uh, that, you know, when, when the Spanish, uh, language in, in, in Barcelona, uh, they, they, there's a lisp to it. It's yeah. like, uh, Barcelona, Barcelona, when mm-hmm. the, the C, which we pronounce as, as like an S sound, the S, they pronounce with a th sound, so Bar- Barcelona, you know, and the S too, is it, is, is it, yeah, the Z's, the S's and the C's. Yeah. Now I was told, and I know this is probably apocryphal. I was told that 
um, uh, the reason that happened is because the king yes. had a lisp yes. way back when. Yeah, Charles something, fifth or fourth. I can't yes, yes. that's how the story goes. And that yeah. the courtiers, in order to curry favor with the king, <laughs> would not correct him or speak differently. They spoke like him, so they all said Barcelona. Barcelona. And so I wrote this thing kind of explaining that. And uh, it, it was uh, it was going to be, here's your Summer Olympics minute. And then, you know, he's just like sitting at a desk and, and telling this, the story of the, the king who lists and why everybody, you know, that's why they list. And he says, so this is your Summer Olympics uh, minute. I'm Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and it got a huge laugh when we shot it, you know, in the yeah. in, was in front of the audience, but the crew really laughed. It was probably the funniest promo just for just him going, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> but the network standards and practices people got all up in arms because they thought, oh, you're making fun of people who lisp or and no. so and so, you know, uh, the other writers say, Scrow, man, they're you're in real trouble, man, because they called Spain. They called some university in Spain. And you know, some professor said that story's bullshit. It's not really true. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's yeah, a comedian. It's a, it's a joke. Yes. And, and you're not making fun of people, you know. And so it no, never made it clear. It's so weird because you're making fun of the way Spaniards speak, which I always do too, by the way. That, you know, so it, was, it, it had all of those political implications, I guess, yeah. which never occurred to me. I just, uh, you know, yeah. it. It was just seemed a funny story that they all were copying the king in order to curry favor. And so they all went, you know, all turned their S's and their soft C's into THs. And then at the end, the joke is, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. Perfect. And uh, it never saw the light of day. Oh. And I, and, and I was scared because, you know, I thought I was going to get fired. Because, you know, I was just the first, first month on the show. And, you know, we haven't even, you know. Uh, I was in trouble, Scrow, because if this is, you know, this better be uh, real. And, I, you know, I wasn't claiming it was real. It was, you know, cool. some guy told me that and it sounded real enough. Didn't yeah, it it's sounds, better it makes, if it's not real. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense because why would they lisp? You know, why would they do that on purpose? So I, I don't think, know. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not even the point, you know. I know, I know. But it's, it's just an apocryphal, you know, story. And the joke is, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. That was great. It was great. <laughs> ah, PC stuff is crazy. But um, oh my god, we'll, we've been talking for like an hour and ten minutes. This is like our record. Wow. Maybe right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. People liking it? Yes, they do. Didn't you see the comments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go to some of the comments. Nate, thanks for brightening my day with your hilarious jokes and stories, Steve Scroven. You're welcome, Nate. I can't stop laughing. He loves you. Right again, Nate. <laughs> I'm a little worried uh, about you, Nate. <laughs> uh, Rich is saying good show. Thank you, Rich. So, yeah, they love you. I told you. They, they just, and these are the guys that requested you. All right. Do any women watch the show? <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Okay, they do. They do. I have a few 
when, but mostly guys, it's true. But you're the queen bee. You're the queen bee, right? I'm the queen bee. You're the alpha. That's where you intimidate the, the other women, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am the I'm the alpha, definitely alpha. So it's all the guys kind of just curing favor with you. I think so. They like alpha women. Yeah. Not right. Yeah. Because it's like where we don't screw around. It's like very straight to the point and 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 they all and they're all talking like you. All these guys, Nate and Rich. Yeah. I am. They've adopted your speech pattern. They all they all sound vaguely Argentinian. They do, right? Yeah. Not necessarily from Buenos Aires, but they do sound generically from Argentina. Yeah. Different parts of Argentina. Yeah. Nate is saying, I box professionally that and write books. Mean. People think I'm insane. Laugh out loud. Yeah. I, I, you can count me as one of those people, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> what is the craziest thing you've ever done? Oh, that's a very general question. Craziest thing I've ever done? Yeah, like Nate, you know, he he does all kinds of crazy shit. Like I, uh, I don't do things that like, yeah, I'm I'm. I mean, I I'm a jock. I play I play sports and stuff, and and you know, I've been injured doing that kind of stuff. It's, but it's not crazy like riding bulls. I mean, why? I There's don't a know. Reason the bull is bucking you off. He doesn't want you there. No. No. But he did it. I think he got hurt actually a little bit. I can't imagine being, you know, being thrown by a bull. You know, insane. I know he's he likes to do shit like that. He, I think he ran a marathon for like thirty six hours for some a really good cause. He's a really good guy. Yeah, like he's insanely like athletic. Yes. Wow. Yeah, right. very impressive. So okay, here's another one. Steve has rolling. Has having me roll with laughter. See, he loves you. It's like that's your biggest fan on this feed right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nate. Thank you, uh, thank you. everybody. I'm gonna go get some dinner. Yes, go eat. And, and uh, we'll 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 see you next time. We'll do more stories. Oh, definitely, of course. I got a million of them. I know, I know, and we're gonna get all of them. All right. Thank you so much for yeah. being on, on the podcast. Mwah, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in.